So according to researchers, today, if you are an adult, you will make somewhere around 35,000 decisions. And now I've given you one more to make. You're going to sit there and think about that and decide if you think that's an accurate number or not. Uh, but that's, that's what researchers say, that, there is, that the average adult makes around 35,000 decisions. I don't know how they arrive at that number or how accurate that it is. One of the things that has been on my heart recently is just uh, how, many, how many things that we decide and how many things we have to, to figure out how we're going to relate to and just the need for discernment and to, to be able to think critically. Um, we're constantly needing to discern. And one of the passages I thought of, Danny actually had referenced, that we are called to keep ourselves unspotted from the world, to not love the world. So how do we evaluate? So there, in life, there are some things that are very clearly right and wrong. And then there are many, many other things that maybe aren't clearly right and wrong. So how do we evaluate these areas that, that aren't super clear? And I'll give you just a short little list here, but I even hesitate to give a list because I don't want you just to think in the categories that I'm talking about. I'm talking about anything in life that we need to make discernment on. So, you know, things like buying a car, what work projects you're going to start at home, will you be on social media, what are you going to do for fun, how long you work each week. What I'm really talking about is where we spend our time and what gets our attention, how we conduct our lives. When we think about discerning things, one of the things that we have to recognize is that things around us change very quickly. So today, if you wanted to buy something, if you needed something, um, I'm curious who all would think of getting in their car and driving to a store and who all would think of putting something in their Amazon cart. So the reality of this is that in, up until 1994, we didn't even have the option to buy from Amazon. So it's a whole, um, things change quickly. If you're into raising food, um, all of this debate about GMO products wasn't even a thing until 1994 when they introduced the first genetically modified tomato. So there's constantly things that are changing. Uh, today, when you think about reaching out for a friend, good chance you debate, am I going to call them or text them? Do you know that you couldn't even text them in the year 2000? This is a new thing as of 2001. When you travel and want to jump on Airbnb, you couldn't do that before 2008. Um, a smaller example, if you forgot barbecue sauce for Sunday dinner and needed to pick it up or debated whether you should buy it on Sunday, you couldn't even stop at Dollar General in Catlett before 2016. 2020 brought COVID and a whole host of things that we never dealt with. How do you handle before? Um, maybe our children will try to decide can you use chat GPT when you're studying for devotions? My point is there's always constantly a barrage of things that we are needing to evaluate. And it's not just external. It's also life, um, the things that life brings at us and the, uh, the changes and the stages that we go through. So I'm going to pop a graphic up here on the screen. And this is a graphic. It is not original with me. I read it in... Actually, I didn't even read an article about it. I just saw the graphic and found it to be so helpful personally and relating to my family that I decided to share it today, and that's what we're going to talk about, of how do we discern those things that aren't clear. Um, and as near as I can tell, I think the graphic comes from a book, Vaughn Roberts. And again, I don't know anything about him, but here is the graphic. So 
it was under the heading of, of Christian freedoms. How do you decide in the areas of Christian freedom? So at the top is 1 Corinthians 10.31, do it all for the glory of God. And working down, does the Bible allow it? Well, if no, clearly don't do it. If yes, what does my conscience say about it? And if no, then clearly don't do it. But if yes, where do you go? And then there are three further questions. One, what is the effect on other Christians? And the statement is that love is more important than knowledge. The second question is, what is the effect on non-Christians? The gospel is more important than rights. And three, what is the effect on my spiritual life? Spiritual health is more important than freedom. So again, I just found this helpful. There are many, many ways to think about this. Um, but I thought this hopefully could be beneficial for us as a church to walk through this a little bit with the many, many, many things you will decide this week and in the months ahead of uh, how, do we, how do we discern these kinds of things. So um, I'm going to start at the top with the first one is God's Word. And I'm going to, you're free to turn to these. And if you want to, I'll put the scriptures up here. We aren't going to spend a lot of time in, in each scripture passage. But the first thing in, in discerning faithfully, um, if I want to follow God, then I must know what he has revealed to me in his word. Scripture is full of promises for direction and discernment. And they go on and on. You know, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I chose Psalm 19 because of what it says, but also we just went through this in Sunday school. So just a reminder... When it comes to sorting through these things, what does God's word say about it? The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. So as we evaluate all of the things in life, God's word is one place that we can go to be warned. And when we, when we order our life according to God's word, he says that there is great reward um, in doing that. A couple of other scriptures, and I realize when you look at scriptures where the Bible promises to direct us, these are the, the passages that we refer to so often. So I know these are very familiar, but just listen to what God says his word does to, uh, for us. Psalm 119, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So the picture here is that we're, we're in God's word and there's kind of a, there is a, a treasuring of it that when we keep it in our heart and guard it, that actually helps us when we make future decisions. That God's word, when it finds good, uh, back to what Brandon talked about, when it finds good soil in our heart, um, it protects us from sinning against the Lord. Another one is Hebrews 4. I'll just read verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So sometimes if I'm trying to evaluate something, are, does anybody else feel like you know, there's so many angles and your motives and all these things are just so intertwined? God and his word promises to sort through that and to lay bare our hearts and our motives um, and to give us discernment. Um, 
Romans 12, 1 and 2 are, is a passage that we refer to often. And while it's not specifically speaking of God's word here, I want to, want to point out verse 2. It says, We're not to be conformed to the world, but to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And the, the verbs for being transformed and renewing, it's not like a one-time past tense thing. It's a present ongoing thing. And God does that through his word, that he transforms our mind um, through his word and through his spirit in our heart. Um, so as we, as we search scripture and wonder what God is saying on a matter, it's not just looking, does God speak exactly to this item in scripture? And of course, if he does, we live it out. But as we're letting him transform our heart and our mind, we're, he's, we're looking at, at it through the lens of his heart and his perspective. Here's a quote from John Wycliffe. The Bible is God's voice speaking to us just as truly as if we heard it audibly. I think one of the things that we also need to keep in mind is that God moved through his spirit, directed men to write the scripture, but the author, the Holy Spirit, is also living inside of us and applying scripture to our heart as we search the scripture um, to obey him. So God's word is truth. It's what we go back to. It's what we measure against. And if I really want discernment, I have to be honest and come and surrender to God and what he's going to say in his word, not coming and saying, this is what I want to see and trying to find text that lines up with that. I was thinking about a couple of things that influenced me in my life related to God's word that I'm, I'm grateful for. One, uh, dad was, was just big on the thing of over and over, cover to cover, and so he gifted me with the one-year Bible and challenged me to read it. And then a few years later after, I don't know, I was probably 18 to 20 in that range, Alfie and I used to like to play volleyball, and we would drive up to Baltimore most Friday nights to play volleyball. Um, he probably doesn't even remember this, but one time on the drive we're talking, and he was like, 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 Ivan, like, really, where are you at with God? Like, what, are you actually pursuing him, or like, do you you know, do you care? Where, where actually are you? And I did care, but if I was honest, I really wasn't doing much about seeking God. And so um, I bought a, I still like Bibles that don't cost a lot, that you can just take with you. I bought a cheap little Bible, and I would sit down over lunch, over my lunch break, and started, it kind of set me on a path of, of being a little more serious about pursuing God in his word. Um, so I was thankful that God, God used that. But in your life, when you're trying to discern uh, different situations, a few things to ask is, what scriptures apply to this thing? What, what scriptures apply to what, um, what I'm considering? Have I asked God to speak to me and uh, then allowed God to shape my character? So in discernment, what does God's word say? The second area I want to look at is, is your conscience. Um, conscience is actually referenced 30 times in scripture, and the word means the self that knows. I find that interesting. But it, what it is, it's, it's the part of us that God has, has given us and put inside of us that is evaluating ourselves, and primarily it, it helps us to do what's right and to deal with wrong, is primarily the way God works through our conscience. One of the things that we have to recognize, though, um, is that our conscience is like a, it's like a GPS so a GPS, if you plug it in, you know, pull up Google Maps on your phone, 
your phone is referencing satellites to figure out exactly where you are. And so in some ways, in many ways, that's what our conscience is. And God, uh, God tells us that um, even, well, I'll get into this in Romans, but that um, he writes his word on our heart and his conscience references his word and tells us what's right and what's wrong. And so everybody, it, God has a built-in conscience. But over time, we can choose to either ignore our conscience or what, what ends up happening is consciences get recalibrated so they're not going back to the truth of God's word. Does that make sense? So when, you're, it, when your conscience gets calibrated to the wrong thing, it's no longer going to, to accurately tell you what is right and wrong. So today, we can, we can literally have people who, whose conscience would tell them something is wrong even though it is right. Um, you know, for example, um, the, whole, the whole push is to accept, it would be wrong not to accept everybody wherever they're at, however they're living. That would be wrong and bothers people's conscience in, in broader culture. But the issue is that the conscience is calibrated to the wrong thing. It's not calibrating to God's word. So Romans, um, yeah, Romans 2 talks about God's law being written on their heart. I want to read just three three verses um, that talk about what happens when we don't relate to our conscience in a good way and the progression. So First Timothy, uh, the book of First Timothy has conscience woven all throughout it. First Timothy 1, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons by swerving from these have wandered into, away into vain discussions. So people who have wandered from good conscience can end up in vain discussions. Um, Dennis the Menace is an example of this. My dad said to listen to my conscience, and my conscience says, go for it. So his conscience was calibrated wrong, or he was not being honest here. 1 Timothy, uh, continuing in chapter 1, again, the progression of what can happen with a conscience that's not, um, that we are not keeping clear. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. So part of waging a good warfare is holding on to faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. So at first was swerving into vain discussions here, rejecting it. People have ship, actually shipwrecked their faith. And then later on, in uh, this should actually say 1 Timothy 4, it talks about those who, are, who have turned from the truth, and it says that their conscience are seared. Um, so it is a progression when we don't pay attention to, um, to our consciences. When Scripture talks about our conscience, it uses these words, a weak conscience, a defiled conscience, a seared conscience, or an evil conscience. And again, it comes back to it must be calibrated to God's word. Um, but it also talks about a good conscience, a pure conscience, and a clear conscience. And so if our conscience is to work well, it needs to be regularly cleared by confession in the blood of Christ um, and calibrated to God's word. So in discerning things, am I being honest and sensitive to my conscience? Um, so the first one is, what does God's word say? The second is, what does my conscience say? Now I want to just spend a little bit of time thinking about the three further questions at the bottom when when maybe the word hasn't spoken clearly to it and maybe my conscience doesn't clearly address it. How do I discern um, what is wisdom here? 
The first one is considering the impact on other believers. So when we're born again, God puts us in a body, and uh, he calls us to care for each other. In fact, if you look through the New Testament, there are actually 59 different one another commands for believers. So there are 59 different one another's that we are to relate in a loving and caring way for the body. Um, I want to read two passages um, as we discern how do we relate the impact on believers. Galatians 5 tells us, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So again, in discerning these things that aren't clearly right and wrong, can I have the best interests of my fellow believers in mind, and is there a way to serve them through whatever I decide? I want to read also out of Romans 14, and in Scripture in the New Testament, the Bible often talks about food that you can and can't eat, and it's talked about in Romans and in Corinthians, and if you're like me, it can feel confusing because it's not situations that we relate to. Um, So one thing to keep in mind as we look at this passage is that it's actually three separate situations being addressed. So one is, do Christians still have to follow the dietary laws? That's what we're going to read about in Romans. In Corinthians, you had the question of, could you go into a pagan temple for a feast and participate in that feast? Or if you bought food that had been sacrificed to idols, was that okay? So there were three different things at at play here. And this in Romans is more of the question of, of the dietary laws. And again, please hear this all through the lens of how do we discern if this is good or not good for us to do. Romans 14, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are, we to pass, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. So depending where we find ourselves on issues, the tendency is going to be to despise the one side or to pass judgment on the other. And God is saying, don't, don't do this. We all stand individually before the Lord. And then I'm going to skip down into the, the later part of this chapter here. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. So if I'm deciding on things that aren't clear, I should be thinking about my brother or sister, and does this in any way hinder their walk with God? Verse 14, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. So as we evaluate things, we're looking for the things that mutually build up. One of the things that struck me in reading this is it's all about how you relate to your brother and your sister. And then it gets down here, and I would expect it to read, whoever thus serves his brother or sister. But do you catch that? It actually says when we have that attitude, 
whoever thus serves Christ. So when we're, when we're really concerned about our brother or sister, it is one way um, that we serve Christ. So when we look at a situation like this with, with the food, and one of the things that we have to be clear about is that Paul probably ate in some cases, and he abstained in others. And so what about consistency? Where does consistency go in all of this? And please hear me very, very carefully on this, what I am saying and what I'm not. When we get into these kinds of situations, the temptation is to create rules, that this is how we handle it. And I want to say that when we do that, the consistency thing almost always will become an argument and a divisive thing. And I think we actually miss the heart of the matter, and we miss our personal responsibility before the Lord if we attempt too often to create rules to deal with these situations. So I hope you don't hear me saying that churches don't have authority to speak into things. God has done that. But on these matters, the heart of the issue is walking with a clear conscience before the Lord and putting my brother and sister's needs first um, is what we're called to do. So as I evaluate these things, the question is, will I consider the impact on others in the body of Christ? So that's the third question is, how will this impact believers? All right, we'll read a couple of verses in the next question uh, related to non-believers. So when Jesus called his disciples, one of the first things he said is, follow me and I'm going to make you fishers of men. And so following Jesus does include the call um, to share the gospel. I'm going to read just two verses with this section. Colossians, um, Colossians 4 tells us this, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So when we're considering what we do and don't do and how we live, God tells us we're to walk in wisdom and we're to view interacting with those outside of the body as opportunities. We're to make the most of that. I find this fascinating. In 1 Timothy 3, when it's talking about the qualifications for elders and pastors, he says this, Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So when it comes to the choices that we make, God does want us to have our unbelieving co-workers, family, friends in mind. How's this going to impact them? Um, and I, yeah, again, I find it interesting that that is a qualification for, for pastors. I think one of the things that we also need to keep in mind is why, why would God care so much about the reputation with outsiders? And if we think about what it means to be an insider and an outsider, everybody that is born again was an outsider, that God brought inside to his family and into his kingdom and is then turned around and entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. So God cares deeply about everybody outside and how those inside live because of the impact on the gospel. So we had some, uh, we had some neighbors that lived, I don't know if they were next door or two houses down, two houses down, I think. There were three sisters that lived in this house. This goes back like, I don't know, 10 or 15 years. There were a lot of people in this house, and it was... It, was a very ungodly scenario. We got to know them, um, became friends with them, and they moved out, but one of them worked at Denny's. 
And this is why we were doing Kids Club. So after Kids Club, we went to Denny's to have a meal. And I don't remember the scenario, but for whatever reason, I went over with a group. And there were, it was me and I think a couple of other girls, other ladies that walked in. Nicole had to do something else and wasn't there. And I walked in, and my neighbor was there as the hostess. And she was so unfriendly and rude to me. I was like, what in the world is going on? And then later, Nicole came, and so then she started talking. Anyway, bottom line is she thought that Nicole and I had, were not together anymore. And she was so unimpressed and was so just chilly and cold. There was no, she really was hardly even going to talk to me. And it was interesting, even though she was living that lifestyle, she expected Nicole and I to not live that lifestyle. And she was super disappointed when, when I walked in without Nicole. Um, so anyway, all of that to say that what we do and don't do matters that, to those that don't know the Lord now. And God cares deeply about, um, about all of us, thankfully. So the fourth question in discerning is, how will this impact non-believers? The last area is, and you can make the case that this should have been the first, uh, the first area, is what will this impact, how will this impact my walk with Christ? When I think about Jesus purchasing me, tr- purchasing me with his blood, setting me free, every choice that I make, I want to, to consider how will this impact my relationship with him. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3 says this, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unfailed face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So we're born again, and God puts his Spirit inside of us. And as we worship the Lord, we're being transformed from one, um, one degree of glory to the next. And it is, it is walking in freedom. One of the things that we're told in 2 Peter 2, and I'm not going to read all of this, but just notice what this verse says at the end. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. And so as we're evaluating things, if there are things that, that we really can't control, then that's destroying the freedom that God um, means for us to live in. One of the things that I have thought about over the years and uh, in read, well, it actually came from reading, was just when we're evaluating things, the things of God will lead us into greater and greater freedom. And the things of the world and Satan will lead you into greater and greater bondage. And Jesus came to set us free from sin, came to set us free from ourselves. As we're evaluating things, uh, I think it's very important to think about, does this please the Lord? um, You know what, I think I missed that. Uh, It's in Colossians um, 1.10. It's actually three different places in the New Testament God talks about that we are called to evaluate if we're walking pleasing to the Lord. If I love someone, I want to please them. Um, Jumping over to 1 Corinthians 10. Now again, this is dealing with food, but in a different situation. We're told this, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. So here when scripture is saying all things are lawful, He's actually quoting a phrase that was common in Corinthians. So take it as that. It's not necessarily making that statement, but he's quoting something that the Corinthian church would have said. So he's saying, you say that all things are lawful, but is it profitable? 
Is there benefit here for you? Does it build you up? Um, and then the word is, does it edify? And that's literally the word of, of building a house. Um, so I hope when you look at, at Scripture and how we are to evaluate things, that if you just look at something and say, what's wrong with it? I hope you're getting the picture that that's a way, that is, is way too small of a question to ask. It's okay to think critically, you know, what's wrong with things. Um, we are called to do that, but God is, is calling us is there a profit here? Does it edify? One of the other things I think we have to think about when we're evaluating things is, what place does this hold in my heart? What place does this hold in my heart? That even good things can occupy the wrong place in my heart. So as we're evaluating things, what, is, what place um, does it have in my heart? Again, the temptation can be to think in categories, and I'm not saying we should, we should never do this, but um, if I was to throw out sports and work as two categories, um, one seems better than the other, and it is more worthwhile. However, in evaluating things, if it really matters the place it holds in my heart, and I'll try to illustrate this. So... If I am relating to work in an unhealthy way and, and becoming a workaholic and finding escape from my family and working 70 hours, something that is very good has just occupied a wrong place in my heart. If, on the other hand, I spend some time playing sports um, as a way to connect with those younger than me or to get to know people who don't know the Lord or just flat out to say a little bit in shape, can that occupy a good place in my heart? It can. Can it occupy a very wrong place in my heart? It can. And so as we're evaluating these things, we need the Lord uh, to guide us on, look, what, what is profitable here and what is edifying and what builds up? Another thing to keep in mind as we evaluate these kinds of decisions is that our life is directional and our decisions matter because of the directions that they pull us over time. These decisions add up. And so is this decision pulling me towards the Lord or is it trying to get me off a little bit? And, and Scripture also talks about the path towards the Lord being a narrow path, but the path away from the Lord is broad. I really think Satan doesn't really care what specific thing directionally pulls us away from the Lord as long as it's something. Um, but as we evaluate these things, what direction is it taking me um, in my life. Then at the end of chapter 10, uh, here we have some verses that, that wrap all of this up. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So as you evaluate things, what does, what, when I'm concerned about God's glory, what does that tell me? And then he goes on to say, give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. So again, the idea of being concerned of how it impacts others. Just as I try to please everyone and everything, I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. So we often hear Paul, where he says, follow me as I follow Christ. Does anybody know where that is in Scripture? Any idea where that verse comes in at? Follow me as I follow Christ. Would you be surprised to say, if I told you it's the, it is the next um, verse here? 
It's unfortunate the way our Bible handles this. This sentence is the end of this paragraph. But in Scripture, chapter 10 ends with may be saved, and chapter 11 begins with be imitators of me as I am of Christ. As I, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So this phrase is calling all of us as believers that no matter what we do, we need to be concerned about the glory of God, about not offending others, and trying to live our life in a way that betrays the gospel in a way um, Titus talks about adorning the gospel. And then he says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. All right, so the last question is, how will this impact my relationship with Christ? Um, We'll run through the questions again. Thank you for, for your attention. It's five simple questions in many ways, but I hope it can be helpful as you evaluate lots and lots of things and make decisions on what is, what is good and what is best. So number one, what does God's word say? Is there anything here that applies to this situation? What does my conscience say? How will this impact believers? How will this impact non-believers? And how will this impact my relationship with Christ? Would you stand with me? Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you for who you are. Thank you for redeeming us. And God, we confess that we need wisdom, Lord. There are literally hundreds and thousands of decisions that we make daily and and weekly. God, there are new situations that we um, are called to live in. And there are many new things shifting in the world around us. And God, we want to be a church. We want to be individuals who do everything we do for your glory. And so, God, I pray that uh, this week and in the days ahead, you would give us just a hunger for your word, what, you, what, what you've revealed in your word. Give us sensitive consciences. God, help us to love other people. And uh, most of all, help us to be sensitive to how our decisions impact you. Are we pleasing you and walking with you? God, thanks for your grace and your love. And uh, Lord, would you draw us each closer to you? Um, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.